Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. We have an awesome community of support and encouragement. Sarah, Lauren and Leif, Sheila and Tom, Dave, Steve, and Valerie, thank you so much for your partnership in this work. If you're a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time and you can join with a support level as low as just $3 a month. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. Well, it continues to be an interesting and weird time to be alive. The last couple of years have been filled with so much tragedy and horror and pandemic and apocalypse. In this season, we continue to bear witness to the stories of scripture interpreted in light of the unveiling that's happening all around us. So may God grant us a spirit of kindness and humility, ears to listen, and energy for the work before us. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and today we are finishing season five with a word from the book of Jonah. Our text for today comes from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, who is ever-present and on the move, preparing a place for us and preparing us for a place, we give you thanks. Thanks for this world, for the communities that we are a part of, for breath in our lungs and blood pumping through our fragile but resilient bodies. We come together today across the world to hear a word from you, and I ask you to pour through me the gift of preaching. May your truth be spoken today, and may it fall on fertile soil. Amen.
So I've lived in Oregon for over six years now. But before that, for nearly a decade, I lived in Southern California. And I have to say, one of the things that I was pleasantly surprised by living in Oregon is how much nicer the drivers are. I mean, we have traffic and people complain about it. And sometimes people complain about all these Californians moving up here and making the traffic worse. And sure, occasionally you have a rude driver, but for the most part, driving around the Portland Metroplex is a much more pleasant experience than driving around LA. So when we lived in California, Dave and I both worked at Pepperdine, and we took the same route pretty much every day. So we would head south on the 101, which was actually, uh, I think it was west. Anyway, we would head south on the 101. We would head towards Malibu Canyon after we exited. And there's this place where there is a stop sign. And then a little ways up, there is a stop light. And that's like you're heading towards the canyon. You know that you need to turn right ahead at the stop light, but there's a stop sign before that. And if you're there in the morning between 7.30 and 8.30, there's a good chance you're going to sit in a long line of cars. So they back up at the stoplight all the way back through this stop sign and beyond. These are all the people waiting to turn on to Malibu Canyon heading out to the coast. And the regular commuters, the people who do this day after day after day, they know that when there's a long line of cars like that, when you're approaching the stop sign, it's because we're all waiting to turn right onto the canyon and you just have to get in that line. But almost every day without fail, there was at least one person who would drive as far up the line as they could. Like they would drive in the left lane, even though they knew they needed to turn right, they would go up as far as they could and then try to cut in at the last minute. And I don't know if they like thought you wouldn't notice and they could just sneak in. I suspect it was rarely like an accident where they just really didn't know that they needed to turn or that this line that was so backed up was because we were all trying to go the same direction, like, and they needed to be in that line too. Maybe, maybe like once in a while that happened. But anyway, this happens like every day there. And if you were among the majority who just got in line and wait your turn, like I did, it was super frustrating to watch people zoom by on the left and then cut in at the last minute. You would see this seriously every day. But what's even worse is when those people couldn't get in, like when they would get as close as they could. So like, okay, so somebody's, everybody's backed up in the right lane. People are zooming across, uh, zooming along in the left lane, and then they try to cut in. But these people in the right lane, they're mad, right? Like they're mad because we've been waiting in this line and you need to wait your turn too. So they would get as close as they could to the car in front of them so that this inconsiderate cutter over here physically couldn't get in. They would creep and creep and there was like standoff after standoff with like a, a car and then they would like scooch a little bit up and try to get in in front of the next car. They wouldn't let them in either. Like all the people in the right lane have like this solidarity, this unspoken contract that like we're not going to let them in. They're cutting, right? So anyway, they would keep creeping up in the left lane until they didn't have literally anywhere else to go. They get all the way to the light. They know they need to turn right, but they're in the left lane. And and then they're, like, they're, they're scooched over far enough that they're like illegally occupying that same lane as the person on the right, all of us waiting to turn right. And you know what sometimes they would do? This is crazy. Sometimes they would turn anyway. They would turn right along with that person as if there was another turn lane, but there's not. And it was super dangerous, especially if like you're the one in the right lane and you're trying to turn, you're like making your legal turn like you always do, but you didn't realize that somebody's like to your left and they're turning as well. You have to watch out for them because they're trying to get in the same lane as you. Anyway, it was totally frustrating, but sometimes there would be a cop 
there would be a cop right there waiting on Malibu Canyon. And I would think, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, I would think, ha ha, there's a cop. They're not going to get away with this. Not only is it illegal, it's dangerous. They're definitely going to get pulled over. And then for some reason, they don't. And when that happened, oh my goodness, I would be incredulous. My mind would race to like all the times in my past, it hasn't happened in a while, but all the times that I got pulled over, all the speeding tickets or the the like rolled stop sign tickets that I had to pay, all the hours of traffic school I endured. Like, okay, I'm acting like this happened a lot. It happened a lot when I was a teenager. It's been a while. Anyway, I would like think about all that and just how unfair this all was. Here are these people doing something totally blatantly illegal and dangerous right in front of a cop. They don't get caught. They don't get busted. They just get away with it. They keep on driving to wherever or whatever they're in such a hurry to get to. They seem totally oblivious to the hassle and expense and delay that they somehow just avoided. So unfair. Super irritated. And I realize this doesn't make me look very good, right? Like I'm admitting to watching other people break the law, hoping that they get caught and punished. But I don't think I'm alone in this. Like maybe you've had similar thoughts. Maybe it's not when you're driving. Like maybe you're cool as a cucumber and you don't care what happens around you. Maybe it's at work when somebody cheats or they kind of bend the rules to get ahead and then it works or they get that promotion that and they didn't deserve that. They should have been fired because they did something wrong. Or maybe it's like, the people who are crossing our borders illegally and they're enjoying the benefits of living in America like the other people who are here legally and 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 you think they don't deserve to be here. Or maybe it's when she takes that addict family member in one more time. They don't deserve that. We all know they're going to relapse, but she takes them in anyway. We've all witnessed people making poor choices and we secretly or not so secretly, hope that they'll get caught. We want their deeds to be exposed. We want justice to be served. And I think this is a natural impulse in us, this desire for justice. I think it's part of how God created us. But what we do with it, how we understand and dole out that justice, that's all us. So you may be familiar with the story of Jonah that I just read an excerpt from. So the book begins with God sending Jonah to the people of Nineveh to urge them to repent and come back to God. And being the good prophet that he is, Jonah saddles up his donkey and gets on his way right out of town and onto a ship to take him far, far away from Nineveh because there is no way he's going to go to that place with those people. The book itself doesn't give us a lot of backstory, but we know that Jonah was a Hebrew who worshiped God and believed God to be the creator of the world. We know that God spoke to him and told him to go to Nineveh because the people there were wicked. And we know that Jonah did not obey. Instead, he ran away. But once he was on the boat, which was taking an awful beating from the storm that God sent because Jonah was running away, the sailors had no other choice but to throw Jonah overboard. And even here, in the beginning of the story, when Jonah is rejecting God's call, something cool happens. First, the sailors say a prayer to God to ask forgiveness for what they're about to do. Then, when they throw Jonah overboard and the sea calms down, we're told in chapter 1, verse 16, that the sailors, quote, feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So Jonah's disobedience and running away from God has this 
happy byproduct of these sailors turning towards God. I mean, that's kind of cool. And then we have the most famous part that like so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, are familiar with, Jonah in the belly of the fish or the whale, the fish that God sent to save him from drowning in the sea. And Jonah is in there for three days and three nights. And with nothing but time on his hands, he does what any of us would do. He writes a song, a song of gratitude. It's supposed to be funny at this point, I think. It's like this fantastical story of a human being living inside a fish in the middle of the sea for three days, strumming his little ukulele and singing a song of thanks to God for saving him. Sometimes, honestly, I think we take the Bible a little too seriously. And I, I think that like we fail to see just how funny it is. Okay, back to Jonah. We're in good shape, right? He seems to get it. God is calling on Jonah to do hard things, but God is also providing. And as we're watching this play out, we think, okay, Jonah, now you should get back on track. We turn the page and find that God comes knocking again. Jonah, I really need you to go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah knows better than to try and run again. He probably still has the stink of fishy salt water in his bones, so he agrees and he goes to Nineveh. He's walking through the city proudly wearing his billboard, you know the one, like it's in 200-point font. It reads, Repent or Die! He hurries over to Main Street, stands up on a box, and shouts, The day of judgment is near! Repent! You're all going to hell! And we've all seen these people. They stand outside stadiums and on street corners. I'm not saying I agree with their message or their tactics, but these street preachers do stand in a long line of God's prophets. Some of us roll our eyes. Maybe we feel embarrassed for them or for the way that they represent Christianity. But when Jonah gets up, when he preaches a word and a warning from the Lord, you know what the people of Nineveh do? They actually repent. I mean, it's inconceivable. They believe the message. They say, we're all going to do a fast, right? We're going to abstain from eating and we're going to put on sackcloth. This is what we do when we're mourning, when like we realize we've done something really terrible and we need to repent. Everybody fast. I mean, again, funny. Everyone wears a sackcloth, even the animals. That's what we read in the book. Everybody, even the animals, fast and wears a sackcloth. Again, I'm pretty sure some of these details are tongue in cheek. Anyway, the king makes a royal decree that no one gets to eat, not the people, not the animals. And all the people and all the animals have to wear a sackcloth and cry mightily to God, hoping that God will relent and not destroy them. I mean, can you imagine this scene? It's ludicrous. Like, try to picture the farmer wrestling a sackcloth over their chickens and the shepherds chasing down every last sheep to slip that burlap over their fluffy coats. Or that poor guy who has to sackcloth the hungry bull. I mean, it's laughable, but the best thing, the most ridiculous and wonderful thing is that it works. We know from our text today that, quote, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Unbelievable. That's what Jonah thinks too, because his response is this melodramatic depiction of what so many of us feel when someone doesn't get what we think should be coming to them. Maybe it's more than melodramatic. I mean, seriously, the guy is so upset about these people repenting. He tells God, just kill me. I'm better off dead. I mean, it's hilarious that his response to God is to say, see, I knew this would happen. I know you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that you would take them back. It's just not fair. 
but God gets the final word. Our story ends with God putting the smackdown on Jonah for his angry, petty, and ungracious response. God says, that city is full of my creation, my people, my animals, and I am not just going to destroy them. If there's a chance to get them back, to restore that relationship, I'm going to do what it takes. And thank God for the hat, because that's something that we all receive freely. We didn't earn it, and sometimes we certainly don't deserve it. Have you ever heard about Desmond Tutu's work in South Africa? Um, you may be familiar with the apartheid rule, how oh, it's horrible. Countless victims suffered under the racist policies of apartheid. And we had black people segregated, forced to relocate their homes. They had uh, less access to education and they had inadequate education. There was really R-rated violence, brutality. And despite all that, Desmond Tutu, who is the archbishop and a black man, he and other leaders decided against revenge. They decided not to hold trials like in Nuremberg, where the Nazis were hunted down and prosecuted for human rights violations. Now, they could have done this, but Tutu says that unlike the allies of World War II, who could return to their own countries in the end, in South Africa, they still had to live together. The perpetrators, the victims, and the dispensers of justice, they all shared a homeland, and they needed another way to move forward that would bring peace and reconciliation. So instead of seeking retributive justice, where we want people to get the punishment that we feel like they deserve, that's retributive justice. Instead of that, the South African leaders opted for a different form of justice that focused on reconciliation. Their vision was founded on and, and guided by the idea of Ubuntu, which roughly translated expresses the idea that my humanity is caught up, is inextricably bound up in yours. And this beautifully and perfectly expresses a really important aspect of the gospel and our calling as humans. It illuminates what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, that we are, that our humanity is bound up in one another. And as we seek to grow in Christ-likeness and step deeper into our relationship with God, we are inevitably shown more and more that to be human is to be in relationship with the rest of humanity and all of creation. That who I am as a person cannot be separated from the rest of humanity, individually and collectively. And so, when it comes to being on the road, or at work, or at school, in our families, in our community, when we observe someone doing something illegal, immoral, unethical, something is, is pricked in us. We know that this isn't right, and we want something to be done about it. We want justice. But retributive justice, justice that seeks for someone to get what's coming to them, you know, an eye for an eye, that's actually not Jesus-shaped justice. It's human, and it's a natural response for many of us, and it's largely the way our American legal system is designed. But it's something that we might need to unlearn if we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We may need to train ourselves to seek reconciliation, to offer grace, to believe that reconciliation is a higher calling than retribution, that restored relationships are of 
ultimate importance, and punishment isn't the surest path there. In America, we are in desperate need of reconciliation. There's been a lot of evil perpetrated against people based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their origin or their sexual orientation or their gender expression. It is so hateful and wrong. There have been so many sharp lines drawn, so much division. We are a people in need of reconciliation. We need to repent and we need to be reconciled to one another. I mentioned grace and we need to talk about it a little more. When we make mistakes, I hope that we will all give and receive grace to thrive in this world and to make better choices. The thing about God's grace It's lavish and unexpected. It's as reckless as perfume that's worth an entire year's salary being poured out on someone's dirty, stinky feet. It's as ridiculous as an inheritance-squandering son being welcomed back home with a kill-the-fatted-calf party. It's as absurd as goats and pigs and bulls fasting and wearing sackcloth to escape punishment. The way of the cross is ludicrous. It's madness to those who are perishing. But to us, to those who believe, it's the power of God. It is seeking reconciliation in the face of injustice instead of letting that injustice um, turn into resentment and bitterness in us. Instead of that, it is letting that be transformed into reconciliation, into desires for peace and harmony with one another. To those of us who see others not getting what we think they deserve and what we expect, God says, no, sorry, this is my call. These are my people and I love them. I haven't set you as judge over them. That's my job. Your job is to love me and love others. And I am about the business of restoring and redeeming my creation. When they drift away and there's a chance to get them back to restore that relationship, I'm going to do what it takes. Even if it means I have to send my own son to live and die among you people. If that's what it takes, I'll do it. I did it. And thank God for that. Let's pray. God, you are such a gracious God. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. Every day we receive your grace and mercy. God, would you humble us and remind us of this? Would you help us to see the world around us through your eyes? Help us to see the world around us as your beautiful and beloved creation. And help us to join you in the work of reconciling that creation to yourself. We love you. Amen. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. 
If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that become a patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Jen Hale Christie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.